This is episode 41 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus mountains of Russia. I'm your host, Andrew. And I'm your host, Eli. And we want to uh, start off by wishing all of the lovebirds out there a very warm and emotional happy Valentine's Day. All over the world, this holiday is celebrated now. Somehow it has become international. St. Valentine belongs to us all. So you know what I've really noticed in the U.S.? From my tell us. my visits there in, in the fall, the candy companies have pushed their way into every holiday. It used to be like the candy holidays were Halloween and Valentine's Day. Yes. Right? That's when you would, but like, I'm talking like Reese's, you know, not like even little red and green M&Ms for Christmas, but it's like Christmas, Thanksgiving, Halloween. I don't know, Labor Day, New like the candy is out on the shelves like it used to only be for Halloween. Listen, that ship sailed a long time ago in Russia. The, <laughs> the U.S. is just now catching <laughs> up. Ch- chocolates at all time of year, baby. No, I, I truly believe that our local grocery store devotes 15% of its shelf space to chocolates. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'm going to measure it. I'm going to actually measure it <laughs> and find out what the percentage is. Do it. That's not going to turn any heads. So, Andrew, man, how you doing? What's new with you? Doing well. Doing well. Enduring um, the winter? 2000, yeah, enduring the winter. Haven't had a lot of snow here in Pitigorsk right. so far this year. But, um, yeah, pressing forward. All right. Looking forward to warmer weather. Eventually. That's right. But, uh, yeah, hey, I've got a good, a new segment for us, baby. It's been a while. We need some, I've, I've missed our segments, personally. Yes. Yes. I'm calling this one The Caucasus in Transit. Oh, wait a minute. You have a whole new kind of segment? Well, what else did you expect? I thought yeah. it was like a new, ver, a new installment of one of our 29 existing this, segments. This one might be a one and done, but <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this has not been approved by the management uh, the views reflected in this segment do not necessarily reflect. The, all right. So what did you call it? Caucasus in transit? In transit. So we, uh, right around New Year's, uh, traveled to Western Europe, took a week vacation and met my in-laws there and had a great time. And on the way, we had a very, very short connection in the Istanbul, Turkey airport. And um, we made our connection. It was great. We had this... Uh, very cordial young man meet us at our gate. Wow! And he literally like led us through this crazy airport. What we airline was that? Uh, Turkish Airlines. There you they go. Were great. Very impressed. But uh, he got us to our connection, and then he and I talked. He spoke some English. We talked probably one minute. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I told him that we. Le- I, I forget his name. I feel so bad. I'm going to say Murat. It might have been Murat. But I told him that we live in the Caucasus, and he said. You live in the Caucasus. No My great grandpa is from there. Wow, was he Circassian and or what? He was. He he was Circassian. All yeah, right. and his great grandpa had come there to Turkey uh, in the 19th century at the the end of the the Russian Circassian War, and it was like this amazing connection that we had. That, that is awesome. You know? And he was like Adige, Adig, Adig, talking about that <laughs> the Adig people, and uh, I was like, I know them. Yes, that's where we live. <laughs> 
At first, he thought I was a dig. Oh, well. I explained. A little lost in translation. Yeah, but uh, then we flew back through Istanbul a week later, and he met us again to, <laughs> to, to, to get us to our connection. And when he saw me, he goes, Andrew, with his arms wide open. That is awesome. Hey, So well, like, I had a little taste of Cox's hospitality in the Istanbul airport. Yeah, but the main question is, did you make a listener out of him? Oh, I did not give him a card in oh, the moment. Andrew, but opportunity lost. We'll always have that moment between the two of us. Well, uh, that, that's that is not cool. It. Yeah, so that was really cool. And then uh, we oh, ended up, we all. spent, yeah, we, on our way home, we spent a day in Moscow. Uh, we wanted to see Red Square in the winter, uh, which January 6th, uh, negative whatever degrees, lots of people, yep. not a good idea with little kids. Anyways. <laughs> Been there, done uh, that. <laughs> We went, there's a McDonald's and a KFC right off of Red Square, and we went in there to get some food, and it was insanely busy. And, like, I'm talking about 300 people in each restaurant. Well, I mean, and it, I, think, it was crazy. I think a lot of them, my guess, because I did Red Square in January, and it was minus 30 and, like, painful, and I, I kind of wonder if a lot of people did did what we did. They're like, let's go. And then they get there and they're like, ah, and they flee to the nearest, you know, heated structure. And we, it's... Yeah. yeah. We got some good selfies, but that was about it. Yeah. But, uh, so we're like, there's no empty tables and there's literally lines at each table to t- like when people leave. <laughs> so they're just standing there were, while you eat. I mean, it, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. And so there was this family, they had three kids and they saw that I'm there, like with our son uh, in his uh, stroller, and then my daughters are with my my wife. But they saw us standing near there, and they said, "Hey, we're about to leave. Come in Russian, of course, but like here, come have our have our table." So like they got up. They they were almost done, but not done yet. They were really nice. And uh, I was looking at them and thinking, like these guys have to be from the Caucasus, like profiling. The, profiling. Though I was, I was. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, and. Uh, but I had a feeling, and like that gesture they did was very Caucasus. Yeah. And so I no just, offense, I said to them, but uh, we've never experienced that from any yeah, of you. Yeah, it was very, no. very cordial. And I looked at them and said, "You guys don't happen to be from the Caucasus? You uh, did? Are you? I did." And they were like, "Yeah, we are." <laughs> I was like, "Me wow. too." Me too. And we we start talking and. I was like, well, I'm not from there, but I live there. And cool. uh, they were they were Kumuks Kumuks from Dagestan, and uh, they were telling me they had known some Americans who had taught English there at one point, uh, and were telling me about them. But oh. anyways, like, oh, man. it was like we made this instant connection because of the Caucasus, and we got one of the we got the only empty table in that KFC that day. I'm telling you, those two interactions I had in transit like improved our travel experience. That is pretty awesome. Well, shout out to the table people who probably also didn't get a caucus stock <laughs> card. Thanks a lot for nothing. Nope. I, I was not in sales mode at all. Well, um, I do want to give I a was couple in survival mode looking I, for a table. <laughs> well, I do want to give a couple shout outs to those who are faithful listeners. Um, Andrew continues to bemoan the fact that my states outstrip his states in listenership. Um, it's very impressive. And Washington State continues to lead by a hefty margin, all the other listeners. So shout out West to Coast. my Washingtonians. On the East Coast, we had a listener request a shout out because he told me that not only does he listen to our podcast 
all the time in his words. He might be our youngest <laughs> listener. He is 11. What? Yeah. And may or may not be a blood relation of mine. He's not in my he's not my child. Um that is but awesome. Finney wants and asked for and deserves a a legit shout out. So this is a shout out to Finney in Virginia. And now we'll find out if he really is a listener of all of our podcasts. Finney, that is awesome. I wonder how many what percentage of podcasts have eleven year old listeners. Well, some. At add least, us to the at list. At least us. Um, but That's we had awesome. another great interaction. We got an out of the blue email from Edward. Edward. There's like a bunch of extra vowels in this guy's name. <laughs> well, at least O-U. And this, Edward, is our first registered known listener, African listener. South African. He is from South Africa. Ah, uh, first that's written us. That's right. I mean, we don't know yes. any other. Right. We, we, we do have other listeners from other countries, but he's the first one who's reached out to us. He's written That's us. Right. Yeah, who we didn't know. And he just, he's never been to Russia, but he's like connected to the expat Russians in South Africa and tried to learn a little bit um, and got really interested in the Caucasus. Um, and through Facebook, found our, our podcast. So shout so out cool. to Edward. Thank you for listening. Woo! That's awesome. South Africa. And hey, speaking of the states, you mentioned the states where we get the most listens to. Mm-hmm. Washington. We now have listens, listeners in 49 states. Oh. There's one lone state that has yet to give in to the caucus talk. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, yet, movement? Y- uh, aura? Yeah. <laughs> Power? The movement. <laughs> the movement. <laughs> it's What's, taking over. What state is, is, is dragging its... It's feet. Nebraska. No, Andrew. I spoke to my Nebraskan friend and I told him to get his mother because he doesn't live there now. I was like, dude, we need a (laughs) Nebraska listener who doesn't like, we need an IP address from Nebraska. So listen, it's coming. But when you told me that, you said there were two states. You said it was Nebraska and like. We just had. Idaho just went off for the first time. South Dakota and Hawaii all just got our first listen. All so right. Nebraska is the lone, the lone one left. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, I've been to Nebraska, and it's, it is all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> it is. All right. Well, that, I'll just leave that there. So, come on, Cornhuskers. We need come you. Come on, Cornhuskers. We need you now. Great. Let's get to our topic, Eli. We have had enough of the segments, and we have an actual living, breathing guest in studio with us who's just patiently waiting for us to stop yammering. <laughs> I actually can feel and smell his breath right now because <laughs> we, are, we have the same set of, iti- a mic. of headphones on, <laughs> sharing a mic. We are up close and personal Andrew, here. that's like sharing family arguments in public. It's like letting people in you got you know at least maintain a little you know the studio man listeners when i tell you you got to get close up close and personal (laughs) to the caucasus folks i mean it literally there's no shame in sharing headphones one in each head (laughs) (laughs) but hey give it up to our special guest and good friend zawur welcome zawur yes thank you guys uh so first of all before i introduce myself i would like 
to ask you a question. Ask Ooh. you actually, actually, Andrew, what's my smell like is? Because <laughs> <laughs> really interested. <laughs> it's yeah, got you... kind of that. You got that like Go for it, Old Spice musky scent. Ooh, those okay, are good yeah. things in English. <laughs> Definitely good yeah. things. <laughs> Yeah, I see mm. that. Uh, I actually thought something different, but I'm glad it's not. <laughs> You're like, I'm being interviewed here. This is weird. Um, I, is our, what, uh, what is Andrew's smell uh, like? You know, it goes both ways. Uh, first of all, I think it's good uh, father's and family member smell. Pure. <laughs> got, a, got a little bit of uh, milk, milk on my shoulder, and right. a little bit of puke on my shirt. Oh yeah. yeah, those are those are the smells, man. I covered yeah, those. And, and his his kids smile smells. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Andrew is a wonderful family man. You got that right. Well, Andrew, tell us about Zoroar being in the studio with us today. Yeah. So our um, this is a topic we get asked personally by our friends about all the time, but we're going to be talking about jobs in the North Caucasus today or the mm-hmm. economy. Like mm-hmm. we are, my friends back home ask me this all the, all the time. What do people do there? <laughs> you know? And I think it's a great topic because it helps you. We've talked, we talk about the culture and the history and the beautiful landscape, but we really haven't talked that much about what kind of work people actually do. Right. Um, so of course, like always, Eli and I have lots of thoughts we would like to share, but it's much better to have a, a local guy in here who can actually speak from experience. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So Zawar, tell us, Zawar is a good friend of mine. Tell us just a little about yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? Um, and what kind of work you do yourself? Okay, thank you. Andrew, thank you, Eli. Um, the dear listeners, glad to talk with you, if I can say this way. Absolutely. Yeah, My sure. name is Zawar. I am from the city of Nalchik, which is the capital of the Republic Kabardina Balkar. It's on the south of Russia. It's uh, the republic where the biggest, the highest peak of Europe, Mountain Elbrus, uh, located is. Uh, I am uh, 47, and uh, I graduated as a machine building engineer. It was was quite long ago, but I used to work as a customs officer. So, uh, as a as a former customs officer, I know quite a lot of Kabardino Balkar and North Caucasus economy. That's why I did to take part in this conversation <laughs> about economy. Yeah. And, yeah. Besides, now I am director of touristic company Elbrus Elevation, Woo! and uh, yeah, so. Our work and our job is connected to economy anyway because tourism somehow is connected. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. great. So, um, listeners, uh, for those of you who have been with us a while, Elbrus Elevation, if that's uh, ringing some bells, uh, that was episode six. We interviewed Shannon Scarborough, who was the founder of that tour company. He's an American. And uh, Zaur uh, runs the company here locally. So Sh- Shannon and Zaur work really closely, and uh, they're actually one of our partners in, in bringing groups here to the Caucasus. So great guy, does really good work, um, and glad to have you here. Terrific. Thank you. And that was a good transition anyways, uh, how, like, Zaur, you have experience working in customs. That's like a government-related job, correct? Yes, 
But then, but you also now are the director of a small business. Right. So that's, I mean, you have experience in both um, kind of fields. Mm-hmm. Which lends, and you, then with your work now, you travel a lot around different republics. So I think you, you've experienced a lot personally and you've seen a lot. So that definitely gives you credibility in what you're going to share. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> it's good to finally have you on the show. Yeah, Zoller's so like, much. and actually, he's like one of our local advocates of our podcast. I really, he's always giving me good advice. And shout out to Zawur. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, th- this question, this is a great topic um, because everybody can relate to it because all over the world, everybody works. You know, and I mean, probably eighty percent of jobs around the world exist in every part of the world. And then there's maybe, maybe even 90. And then there's, of course, in different places, there's these small niches that people do, you know, local to the context. But Mm -hmm. so like, I think that's a good way to start this conversation. What do people do here? They do a lot of the same things they do in your home country, listeners, where you're from. So um, teachers teach in schools, Um, professors teach in universities. There are banks here. So there are bankers. Um, the public transport system is is pretty widespread here. So there's lots of people who run the the trams and the taxi drivers, uh, the the buses between cities. Um, there's of course all these government um, departments like right. judicial system. Right. Um, there are hospitals here, so there's doctors and nurses, dentists, um, lawyers. Builders, yes, like construction I mean, workers, huge amounts firemen, of retail policemen. and restaurants. Like, so like when you, I think it's good to put it in that context. It's it's not actually that different from where all of you listeners are from, uh, in that it's a lot of the same work. It's just a different part of the world, and it's a developed. I think it's important to point out it being a developed country. That's kind of what makes it gives it that commonality. I mean, people who I've talked to who know nothing, nothing, nothing about the North Caucasus are, you know, they look at me, it's like, so do they have cars? I mean, they don't know. Am I going to like, <laughs> it, you know, like a patch of dirt on a hillside or is this a city or what? So to to give people that context, just to have a developed uh, country and region and cities is going to require that infrastructure. Except for one thing that probably our listeners' countries don't have, and that is the Bulichka ladies. I mean, they'll have their own versions of the Bulichka ladies, but not only do we have Bulichka ladies. So these are the ladies who stand with a cart that is plugged in and heated on the inside, a little metal cart with glass, full of little hot buns and rolls and stuff under an umbrella if it's sunny. It's like the Caucasus food trucks. But these ladies... And maybe there's guys too, but I've never seen them. They will be outside, whether it is like 110 degrees or 10 degrees. If it the if the ice is coming in sideways, the Bulishka lady is like standing there selling her buns, you know, her heated little bun. And and I mean, they are tenacious. They are committed to their craft. It's so, true. <laughs> I'm pretty impressed with the Bulishka ladies. Yeah. So Zawur, uh, <laughs> let's talk specific about this region. Uh, what are maybe industries or areas of, of work that produce lots of jobs for local people here in the Caucasus? As I mentioned before, uh, the mountain of Elbrus uh, is in our republic. And 
it means that the f- number first in our republic is tourism. Hmm. Yeah, it makes uh, it impacts a lot to uh, other interest industries in our republic, and first. Uh, even official uh, government politics in our republic is tourism. Tourism, so is the thing that government supports. Government tries to develop, has been developing for many years, and even I can say, just a few years ago, our republic got a new president. A new president gave his program, and in his program, he mentioned number one tourism, number two agriculture. Huh. Uh, so. Tourism, as you see, has a lot of uh, like uh, interests, industries or ways. And first is uh, climbing, first is mountain. And there are some other things that we'll mention later. And uh, uh, since we are very close to Elbrus, like our capital, the city of Nautic is in 110 kilometers from that. Right. Our republic is on different uh, altitude levels. And it makes different uh, trades for different areas ah. of, of the republics. Yeah, it was interesting for me first. I didn't understand why, for example, in 30 kilometers from Nalchik, there is a lot of apples, nice apples. Right. In 60 kilometers from Nalchik, there is a lot of cabbage. Oh, and, and it's the elevation, uh, you're saying. Right. It's elevation. Elevation causes the interest, industries. And so... Uh, as I said, agriculture is second popular, and agri- agriculture has mostly apples, uh, cabbage, and uh, tomatoes. I mean, it's a part of agriculture that's connected to the plants. Okay. Uh-huh. And other popular, sure, since we're close to the mountains, is cattle. I don't know if it's right in English, cattling, right. maybe. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people in the mountains have a lot of cows. Because they have good conditions for the cows, cow mm. it has a lot of uh, fields with the grass, and uh, cows just go every day with shepherd to the fields, and every day, every night they go back to their homes. It was in- interesting for some tourists. Uh, I guess some tourists know that, but some tourists discovered that in the night, cow a cow comes to a gate, opens the door, and goes in. And they remember their home, and they do it every day. Cows do it on their own. Yes. No. I mean, cow cows don't. Cows know very well where their homes are. Oh, every morning they are going, right. enjoying into a big girt uh-huh. with a shepherd, and every night they are coming get back to their homes. They find their homes very easily. I so they are devoted that. to their owners. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, the interesting thing, I wouldn't say interesting, it's kind of different. One of our tourists, uh, he was traveling a few days with us among mountains, and probably he's good at agriculture. He said, I see probably 90% of your cows eating the grass that that they found under their uh, legs, mm-hmm. under their feet. Mm-hmm. But in the States, he said, most of the cows eat the soil feed. Yes, that's so, true. Yeah, uh, it's uh, I don't know about the quality of the meat, but our local farmers believe that natural food is better for them. I, I guess it's just cultural. Oh thing. no, no, no! Yeah. I don't think that's cultural. I think that I mean, in there's a specialty niche in the U.S. You know, food market for 
now for grass-fed beef because everyone realizes that cows are eating soy and corn, not grass, kind of as they were made to. And so to get grass-fed beef, like you said, requires grass and land, and it's a little bit more expensive. And so it's this like sort of premium product. Nice to hear that. I didn't know, actually, because I am not good at that. Uh... No, it's it's good to hear that. I mean, that's one thing I love about the North Caucasus. <laughs> good burgers. That's that's why we rave about that shashlik here, baby. It's that's grass right, man. all of them. Um, I have said baby a lot on this podcast right, so baby. far. Have you noticed that? It's okay. Um, Vegas, baby. Little rusty. Uh, by the way, Zaur, you just <laughs> described, in describing the industries of Cabardino Balcaria, you described the entire drive from the airport to Elbrus. So if you fly into Pitigorsk mm-hmm. or Mineral Nevadi, you'll land, you'll fly, you'll drive into Cabardino Balcaria, you'll drive through a bunch of apple fields, apple orchards, then you'll turn right uh, down the Baksan Valley uh, towards Elbrus, and then as you're rising, you'll pass through these cabbage fields. Yep. And then you eventually, at some point or another, usually it's around um, Zayukova, the village, you'll drive through a herd of uh, cattle, of cows on the road, <laughs> and then eventually you get to Elbrus. But like, it's the, the road to Elbrus basically describes the economy of the region. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> right. Really funny observation. Cool. Okay. So we talked about tourism. I think, listeners, we've talked about this on a pre- previous podcast, but uh statistics show that around the world 9% 9 to 10% of the world's gdp gross domestic product is from the tourism industry right so like tourism actually is a great way to like produce revenue and support a local economy by traveling there because you're producing jobs you're bringing in uh revenue for hotels and right. restaurants and etc um, so tourism and agriculture are two big ones right. and agriculture is de- tourism and agriculture. That's every Republic in the North Caucasus. Those are big, um, big focuses, especially in the Adigea, Krasnodar region and the Stavropol region, um, where Pitigorsk is. Those are big. Yeah. I was going to ask moving East. I mean, you guys have the kind of the crown jewel of the Caucasus, so to speak in your Republic. So it stands to reason that tourism would be more prominent in Kabardino Balkaria. How about further east where they don't have such noteworthy or at least prominent or well-known uh, tourist destinations? Do you know um, what other sectors of the economy are important in uh, Ingusheria or Aseria or Chechnya, Dagestan? Uh, yes, sure. We can, uh, may, we can say some. Of that, uh, so since I mentioned agriculture, another industry which is connected to agriculture is uh, alcohol. Yeah, it's maybe strange, but alcohol is connected to the wheat. So, for example, Ossetia has good conditions to grow the wheat, which is good for alcohol. Maybe not for bread. For bread, the other region have that, and that's why Ossetia is one of the most famous supplier of alcohol in Russia. Really? really? So so oh. it, it, is it that is the kind of the type of wheat is better for alcohol or just that There's mountain it, hops <laughs> or just that different or is it just that that's what it's it's just used for alcohol rather than bread? Like is it not good for bread? Yes, there are different sorts of the wheat. 
right. and some best sort is better for the bread. And Asetia oh. actually doesn't. Maybe Asetia can have it, but Asetia doesn't because there are Krasnodar right. and Stavropol regions that supply a lot with the first uh, sort of the wheat for the country. There's another, there's another uh, alcohol product that is, uh, that at least I think Dagestan is really well known for. Am I right? It's grape, sure. Uh-huh. Can you tell us uh, about that? Uh, yes, and uh, there is, uh, again, maybe a culture impact as well, because uh, Asetia is uh, mostly Orthodox Christian Republic. Mm -hmm. Dagestan is, you know, Islamic Republic. So, yes. And uh, I don't know if uh, vodka is made in uh, Dagestan, but I know Dagestan has a lot of grape, high-quality grape, and Dagestan supplies this grape. And I know that some people manufacture the wine, good wine in Dagestan, not a lot. Mostly they supply wine manufacturers in other regions. I guess, again, because of uh, religious uh, things. Sure. So there's wine from the grapes. Um, there's cognac, cognac from the grapes also, which is kind of like a, like a grape-based hard liquor, I guess. I've never had it, but something like that. Yeah. Absolutely, you are right. Grape is for cognac as well. So this was one of my personal like impressions from traveling in Dagestan in the summer. In or it was it was late summer, and on the side of the road, people were selling buckets. I mean, a, like a big bucket, and they were packed almost double, like heaped over the bucket, just loaded with big grapes. Wow! Yeah, just totally loaded, and then. You know, later in the year, it's gone because it's totally seasonal. So, All right. really productive. But, you know, talking about Dagestan, it wouldn't be fair to mention just the grape because Dagestan has a lot of things. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know if you have talked about Dagestan before. Uh, so, maybe I should mention Again, it's on different altitude levels, and it has different uh, areas for different agriculture things. Like, it's famous with its apricots. It's yes. like apricots paradise. They are cheap, and they are very nice. And uh, besides, uh, we can say village trade, maybe, because mm. some villages have their own trade. Like, one village uh, can, is famous with its pottery. And it's kind of their own pottery because I can't say if it's best or not the best, but it's unique because this kind of pottery you can meet only in one village of Dagestan and people around Russia, even around the world, come to see that. Wow. So let's, let's stop right there. Is that Volkar? Right. So that's a Dargin village, right? It's a, a Lak Oh, sorry. Village. Sorry, Balkarians. Uh, don't hate me. So that's a lock village. I, I want to emphasize this because Dagestan is, has so many nationalities. So that's, that's a lock village that does the pottery. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. Different villages have different ethnicities and Dagestan has, as far as I know, about more over than 30, yes. maybe th 38 ethnicities. So, and every village, every ethnicities has its own trade. Like Balhar has pottery. There is another village of Unsukul. Yes. It's a really high mountain village, and it's uh, famous with its incrustation in wood. 
That's right. Uh, so I don't know if it makes sense. Like people make some wood stuff, any kind of wood stuff, actually, like chairs, mm -hmm. uh, kitchen stuff, or vases, walking right. sticks, shoehorns, yeah. anything. But the main thing is incrustation. They take silver or some other kind of metal and make uh, different uh, beautiful pictures on it. And, uh, yeah, by, and they do it by hammering these tiny filaments of metal into the wood. So it's not just overlaid, but it's actually hammered in. It's really stunning. Yeah, that's right. So Unsuku, what, do you know what nationality that is? Avar. Okay, this is the Avars. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah, there is another village of, actually it's not village, it's the whole region of Tabasaran. It has Tabasaran ethnicity. Uh, they are Turkic, uh, they are close to Azerbaijan, probably by language, and it's famous with their carpets. Uh, just for example, they showed us uh, carpets that are made, cheap car carpets that are made out of uh, synthetic things and natural uh, they explained in details, and for natural carpets, they use only natural products, either for the carpets themselves and either for the decoration, I mean the paint. And every season has its own plants. And, for example, if they need a red uh, color, they have some certain grass, and they collect them in, for example, September. Some wow. other colors, they have to collect some other seasons. But finally... They believe, and I, I'm sure because they uh, made it proved for us that uh, carpets made uh, artificially, uh, they in 20, 25 years, they fade. Yes. Even they can lose their colors. But they showed us the carpets that uh, have existed over 200 years. Wow. That they, they just inherited. They don't sell them. It's like their uh, family treasures. That's amazing. Now, one more thing I want to hit as an overarching kind of uh, job source, and then we'll kind of hone in uh, more on more specifics. It, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Chechnya and Dagestan a big source of oil for Russia, specifically with the Caspian Sea in some of the ports? Is that right? I would say Chechnya. Okay. Okay. Can you elaborate on that? Any like I've read some about it, but I don't know much about specifics. Uh I don't know about oil in Dagestan because I haven't heard of that. Mostly uh, their trade connected to the sea is uh, fishing for sure. Uh -huh. uh, they provide as well fish and uh, the caviar because caviar is popular. Mm -hmm. And it's the one of the most uh, expensive sort of caviar, the black caviar as we call. And, That's uh, fish eggs for all you uh, un uncultured folks like us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, and Chechnya has... Uh, Again, I can't say the numbers, how because the oil stock is measured by numbers. And I can't say, but Chechnya quite a big player in oil mm -hmm. market. And as far as I know, so oil has different types, different sorts. And the Caspian Sea has uh, one of the best of them. Like if you extract the oil somewhere in Siberia, it needs to be cleansed more than the mm. oil that is extracted from the Caspian Sea. Right. That's why Chechnya is a big player at that. And I, again, I, I, this is even less, I can say this with less confidence than uh, Zaur, but um, I mean, I've heard anecdotally and from maybe not, not non-verified historical accounts 
that in Dagestan, in the mountains, there are places where oil just seeps out of the ground. Um, but one of the big problems is infrastructure and access. And that basically, you know, the what it's possible that what is there, you know, without a huge investment in, in infrastructure wouldn't actually be viable to get out, you know? So that's one of those interesting kind of dynamics. Anyway, that may not be true. Write us if it's not true. And if you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, sorry, I should mention that uh, probably not to cause any confusion. Chechnya doesn't have seashore with Caspian right. Sea because right. I mentioned that it extracts Caspian Sea oil because it attracts underground, but it's Caspian Sea oil anyway coming ah. from underground. Dagestan has seashore, but as probably for the reason that you mentioned, it uh, doesn't do that. Right. Hmm. So uh, those are kind of like some overarching, more or less like stable industries here in the region. Now, if you guys were listeners, if you were to Google like jobs in the North Caucasus or economy, uh, you're going to immediately hit up some negative things that you see like on the first page of Google. And so we do want to address that just because it's a reality. Uh, and like, honestly, you can like find all this stuff out from like talking to your taxi driver uh, <laughs> every day. And like, I literally had this conversation this afternoon with my taxi driver. Um, Research, man. There are 12 federal regions in Russia, and the North Caucasus region is one of them. And uh, statistics show that it is the poorest region in Russia. Yep. Uh, unemployment rates are higher here than anywhere else. Zaur, can you speak that? Can you just kind of speak to the reality of that, like what that's like for local people? And um, do you have any sense of why that is? And, you know, I have some thoughts. And uh, talking about our republic, the Republic of Kabardino-Balkaria, as I said, it has two ethnicities, Kabards and Balkars. So, and uh, it, it causes some political problems, not maybe pure political. I would say, like, it's, uh, it's getting better, but uh, from uh, Soviet Union, uh, there were some issues. Uh, how to better explain it. For example, if I am a Kabard, if I am a director of some big company, mm -hmm. my uh, second person should be Balkar. Because right. if it's Kabard, it may cause some uh, tension between Kabards and Balkars. And mm -hmm. the same if Balkar is ahead of our one company, second person should be Kabard. And that was required by the government. Yes, it was before it was required by the government officially. Uh -huh. uh, and you, you can see that it can impact some uh, bad things. Like if if there is a person which is Balkar and he's very good and qualified, but he cannot be appointed to this position because this position, as we call Kabards, Kabardian position, mm -hmm. and if it happens often, it can impact impact the quality of management. That's why I think it's just one of the reasons of this economy. Do those rules persist today? Or is that still either officially the law or, or even on the cultural level, level? Is it expected? It's not uh, exist officially, but I'm belie I believe it exists culturally, uh, uh, like unwritten rule. Right. Interesting. Yeah, uh, talking about economy, as Andrew said, uh, it's the poorest region of Caucasus. I would say even 
we have 85 uh, regions, smaller regions in Russia. Like states. Like, yeah. like states. And uh, we have, like I remember that our Republic Kabardino-Balkar is on the 17th place by HDR, Human Development uh, Index, HDI. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and all the republics of Caucasus about that. Some of them are ahead, some of them mm-hmm. are back, but closer to that. So just to have perception about the level of this um, region. Sure. Uh, and I can say the same reason can be for Dagestan, because it has a lot of different ethnicities, and this rule works for Dagestan as well, and for right. Karachai Cherkes Republic. And maybe there are, as we say, mono-republic. It's Ossetia. And why I say that, uh, political things I- impact because I believe that Assyria has a little higher level when uh, than the others. That's why, and I think one of the reasons that Assyria is mono-national, mono-ethnical republic, sure. and they here have yeah, more qualified. Yeah, uh, listeners, just so you know, like <laughs> you hear, you hear like on a weekly, if not daily basis, conspiracy theories here about <laughs> like why something is like something, but Zaur is like a very like well thought out articulate person so like he's he's not like making up crazy these are, reasons these aren't fringe <laughs> thank fringe you ideas. right zaru oh, can you interesting zaru can you address a little bit the issue of corruption i'm sure a lot of listeners who are uh even a bit familiar with the region know that that's definitely a challenge in this part of the world um from your point of view um what effect do you think that has on the economy and, and what is like, how do you, how do you see it or what's your understanding of, of uh, kind of what that is briefly? Uh, sure. I can't deny that uh, it takes place. I can say uh, it's just uh, not exactly because I can't say exactly again, I'm not a, uh, some analytic who know that, but I sure. would say it's not higher. I mean, mm-hmm. the level of corruption isn't higher than the other part of Russia mm-hmm. in North Caucasus. Yeah. And uh, sure, it impacts, but I can say for sure it doesn't impact on criminal level. So, mm-hmm. I mean, criminal lo- level is not really high. Mm-hmm. Some people, some tourists who come here say even it's not higher than somewhere in Paris, Paris or New York. I don't uh-huh. know how high it is in New York. So so you impact. mean more like, uh, you're, I think what you might call it is more like, I don't know if it's white collar, but bureaucratic uh, or internal corruption maybe exists, but it's not like it affects, uh, you said tourists or visitors on the street in a criminal way, like they're taken advantage of. Yeah, it doesn't impact criminal level, but it may impact some uh, economy. Not mm-hmm. much, but I mean some uh, like structure of economy. Sure. sure. Well, yeah. I think I think when we talk about corruption, obviously, you know, probably the majority of co- every country in the world struggles with it on some level or another, be- just because of human nature. Um, but I think more to the point is how do people thrive and make ends meet and uh, like succeed both in the face of that and just, um, you know, kind of some of the other difficulties that you've already mentioned. Um, when there's not a lot of work, what can you tell us about how people are, 
um, succeeding and doing well. And Andrew, if you have anything to add to that question. Yeah. I mean, I'll jump in here. It, it is interesting to note that even though like unemployment is high, uh, like a lot of people are coming here from other countries to work because mm. like there's less work in their countries. So like all over Russia and including here in the North Caucasus, there's people from Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, uh, Kyrgyzstan, like Kazakhstan from Central Asia. Uh, they're, they're coming even Armenia, there's a good number of Armenians that come to Russia. Mm -hmm. They're coming here because there's a better chance. They can either get paid more for their work or there's a better chance they can find work. So that is mm -hmm. like a tension with, even though the unemployment's high, like there's still a lot of folks coming looking for work. Um, and I, I agree with what you said, Eli. Uh, like what the three of us probably see more day to day is like, despite hard circumstances, people make it work and provide for their families, you know? Um, so I have a couple of stories I could share. And then I think the stories actually reflect s mm -hmm. some of the positive traits of Caucasus culture. And then Zohar, I would love for you to jump in here too, because you are a Caucasus person. Sure. Um, but, uh, so like, here's an example I have, uh, I know, uh, I'm going to share a couple just of my friends that I know. So I have a friend, uh, Misha, uh, he's an Armenian guy here in Pitigorsk, but he and his wife run an English language center. Um, and they work really hard, really, really long hours to ensure that's successful. But Misha also, uh, he has like, I mean, right now in you know, the podcast world or the entrepreneurial world, they call it a side hustle. Like he has a second job, like he has his own, uh, kind of blogging community and, uh, he produces, English language products for Russian speakers to help them like learn slang and like colloquialisms, figures of speech that Americans speak. So like he does that in his spare time and like the revenue he gets from that is really helpful to his family, you know? Uh, so that, that's, that's one example. I have, we have some, uh, Kabardian friends close to here. Um, the husband actually works in like the County government uh, like in the agricultural department, the wife is a preschool teacher. And then also they have like a huge garden. They have a bunch of cattle and then they have a really big apple orchard and they make pretty good money every year, extra money selling their apples. Um, so like that, that to me is an insight into, uh, like even when maybe the, uh, you can't get your, um, uh, ends to meet through your jobs. Like people have uh, cattle that they can sell meat for. Mm -hmm. uh, they've got fruit and veggies they're selling. Uh, and like that is what often helps people get over the hump, even on a monthly basis, you know? Sure. And I would say, again, just from like outsider observation, there's just a, a different emphasis on kind of home economy and gardens and canning and storing up for you know your yourself from your own production whether it's going out to the dacha to the summer house in the summer and gardening and i would love to hear that's kind of a more of a russian tradition i wonder Zawur, if that's also true in the caucasus and caucasus cultures if there's if there's that kind of a of a home economy and gardening emphasis that there seems to be in russian culture uh, sure, it's uh, very popular. Uh, as I mentioned before about the cows, uh, the same works for family business 
especially in tourism industry. And uh, talking about some good uh, examples, as we mentioned before, uh, there is some, uh, there are some issues with uh, corruption. But uh, based on the examples that Andrew said, and I will say, I think people can do that very well. Uh, like uh, one man, Aslan, a friend of ours, he's uh -huh. actually one of our vendors. He has a lot of cows. I think it's about, he mentioned something about 250. I don't know if it's a lot for Americans, but he, it's quite a big number. And about uh, 50 horses. And he wow. has about uh, 1,000 hectares of the land. He's been doing cows, cattling all the time. And now, but his uh, fields, his uh, area for cattling is close to Elbrus. You can see Elbrus very well from that. It's a really uh, nice, picturesque view. Wow. And one time he decided why not to do tourism. And he uh -huh. built a hotel. <laughs> it's uh, it's wow. the first and only one hotel in that area. I would say it's unique because some people just traveled, passed by. They just saw some little cafe to stop for a few minutes to have some lunch. But now people can stop there for a few days. Right. But he uh, he didn't stop on that. He just he's very responsive for ideas, and some ideas were given by our company, some ideas by some other people. He's building now a big sauna. It will be the only sauna in the world where you can see through through the window Elbrus. Ooh, and, that yeah. is awesome. You mean Banya, right? Right, right. Yeah, we might Banya. have to do a future recording session from Oh, my the, goodness. Uh, Let me interject uh, here. Is this uh, Delina Nozana? Right, Valley, right. It's Valley Delina Nozana. It's not that far from Pitigorsk, actually. Have you yeah. been to that place, Andrew, to that actual No, hotel? no. Zahor and Shannon have told me about it. You've told me about Aslan, I think. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah, and he keeps going ahead. He's, he's, he's building a big lake for fishing. He's being another lake for swimming, and he's going to build a zip line. He yeah. actually he actually claims that it will it will be the biggest zip line in North Caucasus. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and and now people started going there. Now it's be becoming quite popular place to go to have a rest. And I would mention another example. It's different valley. It's uh, the valley of Chegem. and uh, there is a friend of ours, Marat. Again, he's one of our vendors. I just remember how he started because I used to attend that valley and there was one place that uh, was used for kettling as well. Mm -hmm. It has some uh, like uh, sh shacks. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how he come up with that idea. Maybe some people told him, so somehow they discovered that this place is good for paragliding. I would mention Whoa. that uh, uh, to have just mountains for paragliding is not enough. It needs to have some combination of the winds, as we call the rows of winds. Mm -hmm. And if you go anywhere to the mountains uh, and try to paraglide, it won't be good. You can, it's dangerous at least. But somehow they discovered that and just a very few paragliders started coming there. And so they didn't have... It was completely wild place with no food, with no water, with nothing. And Marat started uh, providing food, just made some kind of tents. And finally, 
I mean, it was about 10, 12 years ago. Now it's a whole city with infrastructure. It doesn't have uh, big hotels, but it has a little hotel. And besides, it has quite a a big restaurant and good conditions for... It has water supply, it has electricity. So now it's a very big touristic site, and he keeps building that again. I mean, it's 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 another good example of how people do that. And uh, like some right. even corruption on some other issues don't uh, break that. Right. Zawur, do you think, from your vantage point, do you think the economy is growing and improving? Uh, yes, I think so. Oh, at least I can say for sure that tourism and uh, agriculture are growing. Maybe there are some like secondary industries aren't because they are not main and it depends on many factors. But I see Apple, like now if you mention Apple wherever in Russia, our Baksan, the city of Baksan that we mentioned before is the Apple capital of Russia, I would say, and it's growing. Actually, short story of that, just about eight or ten years ago, one local businessman uh, somehow connected to the north of Italy, where it's very good, and uh, they he got the technology from there. It's not just normal apple orchard; it's as we call intensive orchard. Uh, the trees are very small. They in two or three years they start giving yep. the harvest yep. and very big, very good apple, and they don't grow long. Like in three four years, they are cut, yep. and new new trees are planted. Thanks to this, they don't take a big square. I mean, one tree doesn't take a big square. Sure. And one square, like kilometer, has a lot much more apples that it can mm-hmm. take. And by that, it's, it has much more apples from one square kilometer or, right. or one hectare. Right. So it's growing in general. Man, good stuff. Let's get some Baksan apples. A box of Baksan apples. I was getting, I was like tasting Dagestan in my mouth when you were talking about those grapes and apricots <laughs> earlier. Um, wow. So uh, that was really, really, those were cool stories. I mean, both those guys starting, you know, whatever, 10 years back and like looking where they stand now. I will say the, uh, it's called the Paradrome in Chigim at the end of the Chigim Valley. But I mean, anybody who goes there has an amazing paragliding experience. We've had multiple tourists go there, and it's a beautiful area. It's cool. Man, that was a good conversation. That's great. So, Zaur, thanks for being with us. We have one more question for you. Sure. Thank you, guys, for (laughs) the invitation. Yeah. We want to know, we ask every guest this question, if you could tell the world one thing about the North Caucasus, what would you tell them? I would say probably fantastic variety of different cultures. Yeah. Yes. Actually, I don't know if you ask everyone, but it was unexpected for me. And this is the first thing that sprang into mind. You can only truly understand it, listeners, if you come and see for yourself. I hope I hope you enjoyed this, listeners. Obviously, this was just the tip of the iceberg. We'd love your feedback. Um Email us at podcast at caucustalk.com. Um, we're, we've got regular posts going up on our Facebook page, Caucus Talk, a couple times a week. So make sure to check that out. 
and uh, share this with your friends. Um, the The listenership is growing. Uh, what I would really like would be if somebody from Nebraska would weigh in on the agricultural situation. That here. is what I, Andrew. <laughs> I'm going to go do some homework. <laughs> but uh, anyways, listeners, we appreciate you. Uh, look forward to hearing from you. This was Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourists in the North Caucasus, mountains of Russia. We will see you when you get here.